You're listening to The Jay Barker Show on Tide 100.9 in Tuscaloosa. Come on now. Even the most dire Alabama, just dyed-in-the-wool crimson fan, has to get a little bit of a kick out of Lane Kiffin. Lars, did you see his text this morning at 641? Uh, not his text, his ex, I guess. It's going to take me a while to shift to that. But uh, he sent out a song by Taylor Swift about dying or falling dynasties. Now, I guess a lot of people would find that offensive. I just find that very funny. <laughs> yeah, he uh, he loves to um, just poke at... Uh, at Alabama, and uh, and you know he he likes to, to play mind games. He forced Nick Saban to address who was actually calling the defensive play calls. Who was act, who was the acting defensive coordinator? Um, you know, it's just Lane, just uh, Lane being Lane. And I, I think uh, college football is better when he is a, a head coach, especially in the SEC. And then after claiming that Kevin Steele wasn't calling the signals, he claimed that wasn't what he meant. So (laughs) he can get a little tiresome, and sometimes I believe his targets are a little below the belt. But for the most part, I think he's good for college football. He's good for the SEC, and good grief. He's good for this rivalry. I mean, you just face what he's done since he's been at Oxford. So there's my lead with... I never thought I'd lead about a song by Taylor Swift, which, by the way, do you listen to that lady, to her, Lars? Just curious. Uh, I have a, l- a little bit. I, I'm not a, a big Taylor Swift person, but uh, certainly appreciate her. That's for certain. Her and uh, dating, tra- tra- dating Travis Kelsey. And... Um, is that a given now? Is that up there the, uh, in People Magazine? Uh, he keeps hinting at it. And so he's not denying it. Uh, She's not my type in that area either. So anyway, Lars, I imagine you were sitting there with your channel changer or your picture in picture or whatever. You watching a lot of Monday night football last evening? Yeah, absolutely. And uh, man, the most controversial play involved former Alabama player Mika Fitzpatrick uh, coming in low on Nick Chubb. Um, and I, when Nick Chubb was at uh, Georgia, I did a long story on him, and and Mika uh, was just so great to deal with uh, when he was at Alabama. He was just so smart. He can just break down and, and uh, analyze different plays, and uh, I had him sort of drop a couple of different things for me one time, and I was just really uh, uh, just taken back by how well he knew the game. And um, and so those two uh, had a collision. Uh, again, Mika Fitzpatrick coming in hard, kind of late in a play, and uh, and just uh, just it was a gruesome injury suffered by Nick Chubb, uh, and it's the same knee that he really had he injured uh, in college. And uh, it, it, you know, Chubb is done for the season. Uh, a lot of people are just wondering if it, you know, if it was a dirty hit, if it was fair, um, and, and you know, I think a lot of people you can hear arguments from both sides, and uh, you know, I would defer to real like hardcore football people uh, to determine if that was clean or dirty. But I feel really bad for Nick Chubb. Um, gosh, when I was in Athens for a piece, 
I remember just sitting uh, kind of in a conference room with him and the size of his thighs, it was like the size of my waist. I mean, one thigh was the equal to my waist. I could not believe, I've never seen anybody with with thighs that big. Um, and, uh, and you know, to, to see this struck me as a very nice, soft-spoken young man. And uh, this is a, just an absolutely devastating injury for the Browns and, and especially obviously for uh, Nick Chubb. And it, it's, it, it could be difficult for him to just make it all the way back because he, he was just playing at such a high level. He was really the Browns' best player, uh, I think, because Deshaun Watson is just a shell of himself uh, ever since he came back from that long suspension. Um, but uh, did you get a chance to see that hit involving Fitzpatrick and Chubb? I'm trying to watch it right now, but no, I didn't see it live. Yeah, I'm uh, the it, it was. Speak, it's a, it's pretty gruesome. Um, but uh, you know, bigger picture is a big win for Pittsburgh, and uh, Cleveland really had a, had a chance to you know put a little separation between themselves and the Steelers and the Bengals. Uh, in that division, but uh, Deshaun Watson couldn't get it done. I mean, and I don't think I've ever seen a quarterback get flagged for two personal foul penalties in my life, but Deshaun Watson managed to do that last night by uh, grabbing the face mask of different guys as he was kind of going out of bounds, uh, trying to stiff arm, and and he threw both of the players. Uh, It is a a clear face mask and, and an unnecessary roughness, but um, so really some, some boneheaded mistakes by, by Deshaun Watson, who I, I don't know if he'll ever justify that $230 million contract. I mean, forget about all the off-the-field stuff, Matt. But I also, I just, I, I'm glad I'm not a Browns fan because I, I find it hard to, to root for Deshaun Watson. I do too. Um, not as much as the players, of, you know, his attitude, uh, you know, his actions, which I, I think we can agree uh, have been proven. Uh, that's just kind of disgusting, to be honest yeah. with you. Man, yeah. Last night, he did not play like a guy that deserved $250, $400, 500000000 $500 And now that Chubb is down, the pressure is on him even more so, and Cleveland's going to lean on him. And when it doesn't go well... Cleveland's going to bail on him. Don't you think it gives him a lot easier trigger to pull with what he's making and well, what he a, put everybody uh, through? The, the guaranteed money just absolutely hamstrings Cleveland. They can't, you know, they, for the, it would be a salary cap suicide to move on from Deshaun Watson. Um, so they're, they're tied to him, you know, for the next several years. Uh, I just don't see how you can get out of that contract. Nobody's um, going to buy it. <laughs> no, no, uh-uh, no. I mean, no, nobody's going to take it on. And, th- you know, that, that goes back to uh, uh, the the owner and uh, the decision to, you know, you trade away three first draft picks for the guy and you give him this absurd contract that screwed up negotiations for all these other uh, all these other players, quarterbacks especially, because it's it's such an aberrant contract, uh, and so uh, just with the two hundred and thirty million guaranteed. So yeah, Cleveland, 
if they don't get it done now, if they don't get it done soon, I should say, uh, they're looking at sort of a stripped down rebuild because again, they're gonna be losing these draft picks uh, coming up, these first round picks. And they also lost uh, one of their top offensive linemen in week one. Uh, so injuries have really, uh, really hit hit the Browns hard. But uh, um, yeah, did, did did you get did you catch either of the games last night? Yeah, I watched uh, a lot of the last of it, and was really pulling for Bryce as he, you know, he put on a very Alabama like drive late, uh, got him in for a score, then uh, completed a two point conversion. Yeah, I couldn't believe kid. that. I couldn't and believe that. Yeah, it was great. That was a very Alabama-like play. The two-point conversion, wasn't it? Yes. I mean, and uh, it also it, it also uh, really hurt those of us who uh, <laughs> who had New Orleans plus three because it turned it into a push. Um, but it'd uh, worse. <laughs> that's that's right. But you know, I, I, Bryce Young, he's not lighting the league on fire, and uh, I, I think he's still. And every quarterback goes through this. Uh, he's still adjusting to the accelerated speed of the game. It, it, that's what it appears to me, and uh, and in that he's just a, a, like a, just a touch like late on a few different throws, a few different reads. But um, he's an exciting player. I think uh, eventually he'll he'll get it figured out, and I, I think he'll be you know like a top top ten quarterback in the league for a long time. And he just he plays a different style, right? Like because yep. he's uh, he's shorter at five ten, and he has to create his passing lanes. But he's he's so good at, at maneuvering in the pocket. And um, but yeah, I, I think uh, I, I, if I were the Panthers, you know, I think they made the right the right pick. What what, what have you seen so far out of Bryce? I've seen a rookie quarterback trying to adjust to the speed of the yeah. National Football League. <laughs> I read the other day, you've probably seen this too, that the last first round, first pick quarterback to win his opening game was David Carr. Wow. Did you see that? I didn't see that. What was that, 20-something years ago? Close yeah. to it. Um, anyway, the, the scores from last night, the Saints held on to beat the Panthers by a score of 20-17. to 17. Steelers over the Browns, 26 to 22. And I'll say one thing as we go to break here. You know, there are rivalries and there are teams that just hate each other. And the Browns and Steelers come into that ladder. Wow. Man, they just don't like each other. Hey, you're listening to Big Dune Sports, bottom of the hour, Mick Gillespie. When we come back, more information on Colorado and Colorado State. It just keeps pouring in. You're listening to Big Noon Sports, presented by Haley Sansing, Union Home Mortgage. Laura Lee Thompson is known as the Bama Broker. She's a Tuscaloosa native, an Alabama graduate, and the only realtor in town with Wall Street experience. A skilled negotiator, Laura Lee knows how to buy low and sell high. And the Bama Broker isn't just going to show you houses. No, Laura Lee is going to educate you on the market, guide you to homes that fit your budget, and teach you how to sell your home for its maximum profit. 
Throughout the entire process, the Bama broker will equip you with the tools you need to both buy a home and build financial wealth through home ownership. Trust me, the Bama broker who's as roll-tied as houndstooth, will get you across the goal line. That's Laura Lee Thompson, the Bama broker with Advantage Realty Group. You can reach her at 205-790-7229. Again, that's 205-790-7229. And you can also email her at Laura Lee at thebamabroker.com. That's Laura Lee at thebamabroker.com. Tide 100.9, Tuscaloosa weather. A sunny, warm afternoon. The high today around 84. Clear tonight, the low 60. Tomorrow and Thursday, lots of sunshine both days. Highs between 84 and 87. And Friday, another sunny day with a high at 86 degrees. I'm James Spann on the ABC 3340 Weather Center on Tide 100.9. It's 84 degrees in Tuscaloosa. From T-Town to the Plains. This is Alabama's most in-depth analysis on the SEC. This is Big Noon Sports. Ole Miss comes to Bryant-Denny Stadium this Saturday afternoon. Kickoff is at 2.30. We will talk at length about that game with Mick Gillespie, bottom of the hour. But this Colorado Dion primetime uh, it's electric. I mean, uh, you get the feeling everybody in every house and every coffee house and bar is talking about Colorado, and a lot are. A lot were watching Saturday. 9.3 million watched the Colorado-Colorado State game. And remember, that went into the wee hours of the morning, like after one hour time. But it is a little... You need to parenthetically note that the 9.3 million television viewers was the most watched late night game on ESPN. But still, that's some pretty staggering numbers, Lars, especially when you're staying up so late to watch something, was it one or two time zones away? Yeah, and uh, to watch Colorado, Colorado State, uh, and have it garner that number, that just tells you the uh, appeal, the broad-based across-the-country appeal of Deion Sanders and just the the great portal experiment that he's, that he's undertaking. And, you know, his son is really an exciting player, um, and, and it's an amazing story to go from 1-11 to now they're 3-0. They're and, uh, you know, I, I don't think their magical run is going to last too much longer. Um, I think... I really believe that Deion Sanders, he he almost he needs to kind of just like throttle everything back a little bit because look, Colorado was a twenty, I think a twenty-four and a half point favorite, and they got outplayed by Colorado State. And I'm just wondering like if his players are just sort of like mentally fatigued and also they're not used to suddenly they're getting everybody's best shot. You know that uh, that 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 Deion Sanders has 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 attracted so many eyeballs to his program that uh, that that everybody they play it's like you know they're they're a Super Bowl they're a bowl game uh, they want to be the first team to beat Colorado and Deion Sanders and I just wonder you know if uh, if if the if the players are just a little just a little, uh, I don't know, like, like I said, maybe just a little like fatigued by everything and maybe not quite as sharp 
because they were very, very fortunate to uh, win that game on, on Saturday night. But, hey, I tuned in. I mean, Deion Sanders, he just brings excitement. And, uh, and you know, we've talked a lot about Deion Sanders, and he's not, he's not for everybody. He's, he's not really for me. But um, it, it, the, the, the proof is in the pudding, so to speak. It's in the, it's in the numbers. And he has just, uh, I mean, you can't, I don't think you can even put a value on what he has brought to Colorado and how much we talk about Colorado here in Alabama now. This is a team that was 1-11 last year. I mean, arguably like, the worst team in all of the upper division of college football. And, uh, and now, you, you know, you have them as, uh, as the Buffs uh, uh, in, in, in playoff contention. I mean, it, it's crazy. And, and his son is, uh, is right there in the, in the Heisman conversation. And, you know, he, uh, he's, his son creates some magic on the field. Boy, I like watching him play now. I can set all that other stuff aside, but he has got a very strong arm, a very accurate arm, and if he gets out of the pocket, he's going to burn you. And he really showed that late in the fourth quarter against the Rams. There's another story coming out, and that involves a hit that Henry Blackburn, the senior safety from Colorado State, had a hit on Colorado's two-way star, Travis Hunter. It drew an unsportsmanlike conduct and warranted. But after that, Henry Blackburn has been threatened with death threats. That's a little redundant. Sorry about that. But he has received death threats for the hit on Travis Hunter. That's pushing it a little bit too far. Yeah. Oh no, that's pushing it a lot too far. So, <laughs> sorry, yeah. I even understated that. But uh, why well, don't I'll just never understand people? <laughs> why would yeah. you do that? Um, it's just stupid. Yeah. In in uh, Hunter has come out and said that it, it that he doesn't think it was you know that egregious of a hit. He's just like it's it's football, and uh, and I mean and that's the thing that these these kind of plays are going to happen when this is a rivalry game. So, so there's that, but you're going to have just teams, I mean, coming at you with massive aggression and, uh, and, and, you know, and I don't, he wasn't trying to like, you know, take, take, uh, I don't think he was intentionally trying to take Travis Hunter out, but, um, you know, like a lot of people have been, uh, talking about it, but the, the fact that, uh, that, that Henry Blackburn at Colorado state, has received death threats and that his family has. And it's just, there is, I'm just telling you, there is some, there's some ugliness to this Colorado program. (laughs) And, 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 and I just, you know, there's, there's no place for the, for death threats. That's for certain. I've never even heard of that. I've never heard of that in college football. Has that ever happened here at Alabama? No, I, I a think player. Guys, I don't know about Alabama, but it does seem to me like um, not even in the, not even recently. But I think somebody missed a huge kick and they received some kind of threat. Oh yes, 
Yeah. Yeah. Oh, now yes. I, you're, oh, yeah. You're right. Yes. That's it was, happened uh, at college level, but I think I think the most noted, unfortunately, was for Scott Norwood. You know, the guy yeah. that hooked it right for the Bills. I mean, I I still think to this day he can't show his face in public in Buffalo. And, and I'm not I'm not kidding. Yeah. Um, even worse if you go to the fans and you go to Steve Bartman. Um, but I don't know that this is a. This is a deep dive and a winding. And also, road. did you did you happen to see the fight between the Miami Dolphins fan and the New England Patriots? I, it, it was a, a Dolphins fan ended up striking a Patriots fan, and this guy was a season ticket holder for thirty years, and I believe his son was there, and the the, the man uh, fell and hit his head on the concrete, lost consciousness, and never regained consciousness and died. And, oh, no. uh, yeah, it was just, I, it, it just makes you sick. It makes you sick. And, you know, I've thought about this as I want to take my son, Lincoln, he's eight, uh, to, uh, a, a Titans game here, uh, like, uh, in two weeks, the Titans are hosting the Bengals, but I don't think I want to subject Lincoln to some of the things you see at NFL games, especially like, you know, if you're an opposing fan and uh, I, I, NFL, I don't know if you've gone to one lately, but just uh, the, 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 the crudeness of behavior of, of certain fans, of course, and this is a broad brush here, but um, the crudeness just seems as horrible as, as ever. And, you know, it's just the, the language uh, the only the like verbal assault, then uh, it's just uh, it, and it, of course it all has to do with alcohol, but yeah. um, you know, but it's it, it, a real tragedy in in, in Foxborough on I, uh, on I Saturday on Sunday that. night. Yeah, I'm not sure I want to watch it, but I'm no. assuming that they got the. It was yes. a Boston fan that accosted a Dolphins fan, or it was, was a, it, it appeared that it was a Dolphins fan. That was uh, that was the instigator, okay. but it, it's hard. It's hard. It's hard to tell, and uh, uh, and really not much information has been released on on the man who uh, punched the guy. Well, but you know, if you if you're going to get, don't you think? Oh, absolutely. You know, I mean, it, you, you may not. Have, that's a, that's a manslaughter charge. I mean, if you're going to put yourself in that situation where you're going to throw a punch, you better be willing to accept the consequences. Uh, of, of that, you know, certainly the it was an unintended consequence, but this guy's going to be going to jail for a long time because he made an incredibly stupid decision. You know, uh, I think it has escalated uh, exponentially at the National Football League level, but it's true at college, it's true at high school, it's true at even lower levels, you know. Uh, and that goes back to maybe not so much alcohol as it just in horrible judgment. But um, I understand your fear in taking Lincoln to a game, except from what I've seen of him on videotape, it doesn't matter. Nobody can catch you. <laughs> wouldn't catch him, no. I mean, well, <laughs> I, have you posted any of that on Twitter? I did, yeah, that well, video good. I sent you. You need to follow Lars for no other reason just to see this kid dip dive yeah fly. so it was it was the first play of the game and, and the coach and I had, had talked and he said you know the first play of every game 
they're going to run a jet sweep to Lincoln because the other opposing team, unless they've done some scouting on on our team, we're the Rams, uh, they won't really know what's coming. And uh, and so, yeah, I just filmed it. And I'm saying, all right, here we go. It's a jet sweep left. Or sorry, it's a jet sweep, jet sweep right. First play of the game, Lincoln. I just predicted that like, he's going to go 80 yards for a touchdown. And sure enough, boom, just uh, he said he's got a really incredible short area quickness. And then he can just turn on the burners. and You're not going to catch him. It, it is so fun to watch it. Watch you. It's fun to watch your kid play sports in general. Oh, absolutely. But when yeah. your kid is like the best player on the team, I mean, it just uh, just like, wow. This is this is what life is all about. <laughs> you know? You're not and, one of those parents over riding the refs, are you? No, uh-uh, not at all. Um, no, but it's like, you know, and, and, I mean, April and I will just look at each other like, how is he doing this? <laughs> and and, uh, and I'll tell you, this is like power of sports, too. Like, it has brought my the mother of my children and myself a lot closer together because it's it's our kids out there and uh and it's just uh you know it's like all we focus on is the kids the kids the kids and it, it's really helped uh, helped our relationship yep and that's a good thing too so we'll have to uh i'll have to go out there and watch him in person because uh, what i've seen on videotape is quite impressive and he almost hey. hit a hole in one <laughs> this yeah, weekend you told me about hit the that. pin yeah Seven, right. seven iron. Hey, let's talk some Alabama football and some Major League Baseball. We're going to do that on the other side of this break as we will welcome in the Mick Man, Mick Gillespie. We'll talk to him on the other side of this break. You're listening to Big Noon Sports, brought to you by Haley Sansing. Hey, this is Reagan, owner of R&R Cigars, the Cigar Mansion in downtown Tuscaloosa, located at 2703 6th Street across from the Home Two Suites. Come down to R&R and see why we're the ultimate cigar and bourbon experience. With over 165 bourbons and five private barrels, our selection of bourbon is unmatched. We have the best cocktails around and our cigar selection is legendary. Our lounge and service are world class. Come and experience the luxury of the mansion and see why it's a world-renowned cigar and spirits destination. From T-Town to the Plains, this is Alabama's most in-depth analysis on the SEC. This is Big Noon Sports. It is indeed Big Noon Sports. Thanks for joining us on this Tuesday afternoon, bottom of the hour, just past noon. Joining us now is our man, Mick Gillespie. Uh, Mick performs on many platforms for minor league baseball, does a pregame show, University of Alabama, has a network of uh, folks there. What else are you into these days, Mick Gillespie? Hey, what's up, guys? Yeah, just started a couple of uh, really cool YouTube channels, Bama Tailgate on YouTube, which uh, has uh, taken off, and it's been great kind of getting connected with everyone after On3 ended their Bama uh, site last year that I worked on, and... um, that's been fun, and then I do uh, uh, Cubs baseball channel. So I've got all my bases covered. <laughs> Mick, uh, your thoughts on Alabama's uh, struggle, to put it mildly, uh, on Saturday in their 17-3 victory over South Florida? 
Yeah, Lars, I, I've been concerned, you know, and when I saw, uh, you know, late kick Josh talk about, um, you know, basically imply that some guys didn't try hard because they weren't happy with the quarterback decision for the game, that really raised a lot of red flags to me, and I hope that he's wrong. I, I, I couldn't tell if that's, you know, that happened or not. I mean, I watched a football game with a team that hasn't played well, and it just seemed to continue over. And some guys that, you know, were on that offensive line that are, were injured, like Booker, who will be back this week probably. But that really makes me uh, concerned. I mean, you know, I saw something similar in 2000, you know, when Alabama had Tyler Watts and Andrew Zhao, and then 99 was great. You know, it was just an incredible season. And then 2000, you know, they, it was one of the worst seasons ever, and uh, people talked about a divided locker room. You can't win in any sport if the team's not all on the same page. And and what worries me is if that's true, uh, what Josh Pate said that he saw and then some other coaches agreed with, then this could be a really long season. Nick Saban has his toughest task ahead of him, if that's the case. You know, it's it's a little bit more than playing bad football, uh, if players consciously make a decision not to play their best, you got to get rid of those players. And we're talking about game four of the season coming up. So <laughs> it, it just might turn into like in 2000, a disaster. And I certainly hope that's not the case. You know, Mick, that was my takeaway was that uh, and I don't have any evidence of this. I haven't talked to anybody who has suggested this. This is just a gut feeling from someone who has been embedded with teams before that Alabama has a locker room issue. And I'm wondering if the fact that, uh, be, that, that Nick Saban came out on Monday to say, hey, Jalen Milrow, he's not just our starter, he's our starter moving forward. If uh, what uh, precipitated what seems like a pretty pretty quick decision uh, is the fact that, uh, uh, that, that there's a, maybe a fear that he's losing some players. Is that just way over analysis here? Or do you think it's possible that that could be going on behind the scenes? Well, you know, Matt asked me at the beginning of the show, he's like, hey, what all do you do? One of the other things I didn't mention was I'm on a podcast with Jay Coker, Roll Tide Pods. It's called Elephant in the Room. And, um, you know, we've done four episodes this season. He was the quarterback in 2015 when Lane Kiffin was offensive coordinator. Alabama couldn't figure out who the quarterback was, him and and I, and I believe it was Cooper Bateman uh, going back and forth. And you go into that old Miss game, and and you know neither guy knows who's going to be quarterback. And then you know eventually it it was was Jake. And then when he became quarterback and and kind of had the opportunity to uh, to to fill that role and be the leader it made it easier for him just because, you know, he wasn't going in questioning what his role was each week. So I hope that that experience is what led Nick Saban to make the decision on Monday. But the other thing too, is that the, that we wanted to see what the other guys can do because we saw Jalen Milrow and we saw him struggle in the pocket and we saw him turn the ball over. And we also saw him do some really great stuff deep passes and his ability to run and we saw what he did against middle Tennessee but the problem is is that we've also seen the quarterbacks that came before him and he's far below par on you know when you compare him to you know Bryce Young and who is on Bryce Young's level but Mac Jones and 
and Tua and Jalen Hurts. And and the question is, well, is it – well, first off, I feel like of the three, he's the easy answer after watching the game on Saturday. And I, 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 it, there's not even a decision. I mean, by far the easy decision for him. But then the other question is, what is Tommy Reese doing to cater an offense that fits his strengths? And is Tommy Reese capable of doing that? Um, that's the question that I have. You know, we saw Tommy Reese at Notre Dame last year. Uh, they, you know, they've, they've had the same type of issues in Notre Dame where they struggle to figure out who the quarterback is. A lot of teams do. The team got a lot better in Notre Dame last year as the season progressed. But we also saw them lose to Marshall and not move the football. And I've seen that. I mean, that's what we saw last week against South Florida. You know, a good thing Alabama's defense, uh, you know, was up to the challenge. So I think it was good for Nick Saban to name Milrow, but I don't think that he had a choice. I mean, I, 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 I did a video on Bama tailgate on Sunday and basically said there is no choice. This is an easy decision, and then, you know, Saban obviously saw it that way and so did the coaching staff because Milrow was the QB. So I'm hoping that now that we can concentrate or they can concentrate on having Milrow as the starting quarterback, then maybe if Reese is capable of it, build an offense that is built around this guy's strengths. And the thing about Milrow is that as much as he struggled in the pocket, and I, I thought he looked dazed and confused, <laughs> I might have told you guys that, uh, with Matthew McConaughey on the sideline against Texas, he's still explosive. I mean, even dazed and confused, you know, he threw some bombs in that game, and he's always capable of running. And he, there were two touchdowns that got called back on plays where he just created when the offensive line wasn't blocking and he had to roll out. So, uh, you know, there's there's definitely a lot more upside right now with him compared to the other guys, and, and we'll see what the offense looks like against Ole Miss on Saturday. It uh, it's all seemed very unsaban-like from the announcement that Buckner was going to start, and I think that popped up late Thursday night, early Friday morning. And then how quickly Saban said, no, this is not working, and he went to Ty Simpson. And then on Monday, how quickly he gave it all back to Jalen Milrow. Uh, I, it's, it's very unsaving-like. I'd like for you to comment on that, first of all, Mick. And I can't get anybody to tell me why he didn't end up playing against uh, the Bulls down in Tampa because both quarterbacks for a while weren't working. Why didn't they put four in? Yeah, I, well... I, I don't know. I the same the same video I saw with Josh Pate where he suggested that Milrow might have been suspended. You know, I didn't hear that, but he's probably got better sources than me. Uh, I, I love that Nick Saban said that one of the reasons that he felt comfortable starting him was how he supported the other quarterbacks when he wasn't playing. But I just didn't think that the other guys brought. Well, first off, look the, the offensive line right now. Is the biggest disappointment on this team. You know, how many times in the offseason did we talk about how this season was going to really depend on this offensive line, uh, road grader offensive line, which a lot of people call it. And they just have looked slow. They haven't blocked. Um, you know, the, the snaps haven't been consistent. And, um, you know, the, the true freshman has been basically getting bowled around. And so you got to have somebody that can run. You know, and, and maybe if it was a different offensive line, you know, you'd feel more comfortable with Ty Simpson. But, uh, 
Buckner had the worst. That was the worst display of quarterbacking guys that I've ever seen at Alabama. And I'm I'm talking about going back to when I first got there, Gene Stallings days. You know, I, I'm trying to think of a of a guy that came into the game and looked worse than that. And you know, we all have those moments where maybe the the you know you you get nervous or you know you get into a spot and you're not at your best. You make a bad first impression or whatever it was. But I just can't remember a time where a guy came in and into a spot like that. I mean, even going back, like, like let's think about the year Brody Croyle got hurt and Spencer Pennington came in. Uh, he was far better than this. And then Brandon Avalos came in and he was the third string guy and he was far better. I mean, the guy couldn't complete a five yard pass, you know, and, and what really makes me nervous about that isn't about Buckner. It's more about Tommy Reese that he really thought that this guy was going to come to Alabama and step in and, and be the guy to run the offense. Um, if, if that's the case, if I'm Nick Saban, I'm going, you know what? I, I've got it. This season's going to be lost if, if this doesn't get fixed fast. And, and I'm looking at other solutions fast. Yeah, and it, it, there's a really interesting story up on uh, ESPN.com by Alex Scarborough who digs deep into how Alabama got into this situation with the quarterbacks. And, you know, I it seems to me that that Reese and, and you know, you probably got to throw Nick Saban in here too, that they were just slow to identify that uh, Milrow and Simpson, they they weren't progressing as quickly as they needed to uh, in the in the in the off season, and so Alabama then is late getting to the transfer portal, and by that time, like all of the elite guys are gone, and essentially, you know. Uh, uh, Alabama, I think they wanted uh, they they could have gone after Sam Hartman. I bet they could have had Sam Hartman if they had uh, really chased him earlier. I mean, you know, they were tied to Drake May a little bit. Uh, you know, he ended up staying at North Carolina, and that kid looks really good, by the way. Um, you know, and then there was uh, Tyler Van Dyke, uh, quarterback in Miami. Uh, There's speculation about that. And then, you know, it's like kind of everybody was gone and Buckner ends up being the guy and Buckner wants to leave because he would have been Hartman's backup. I mean, so Alabama essentially took out, took Notre Dame's backup. Uh, and again, this is a really fascinating story, but just what, what is your analysis of, of how we got here? And, and also it, it's pretty clear that like that Bryce Young was able to conceal a lot of deficiencies uh in last year's offense just with his sheer brilliant play right and uh and now there's not a quarterback that can is capable of doing that i mean but of course bryce young arguably the greatest quarterback in in alabama school history mick yeah look he is the greatest uh in alabama school history um while he was at alabama and uh, and it, but it's obvious now. But it was obvious last year. Uh, I look, we watched the eight A game, and and uh, Dylan Laudergan was the best of the four. And he's like a true freshman, right? I mean, look. So when you you look at this situation, um, it just 
feels like Alabama was uh, was late to figure out that this game of college football is changing. Maybe they just didn't want to participate, you know, a lot like uh, Clemson right now. And, I mean, I think Nick Saban knows what's going on. I mean, remember, he went to Birmingham, you know, how a couple years ago, and he was like, hey, you know, we, you better start – we better start ponying up some cash, <laughs> you know, pretty much. I mean, he didn't say it like that, but you know, he was talking about how uh, these teams are going out and they're, they're buying players and that's what's happening. I mean, look at what Texas came to town with, and, you know, and, and look at the amount of, of NIL money that, that they have. And, you know, and, and it's not going to be long before Texas A&M is like that because they've got a lot of money, you know, and, and for us to be able to compete, we're going to have to go out and, and and still continue to recruit great players, four and five star guys. But you got to take use the transfer portal to fill in those holes. You know, it would have been nice to go get uh, a, a you know a killer offensive lineman to build the O line around instead of having a true freshman out there that is, that is just absolutely overwhelmed by what's going on on the field. Uh, you know, the year they won the national championship last, they got a center from Florida State. It'd be nice to have a guy that can snap the ball. And give the quarterback a chance. I mean, that that to me, this is two straight years where the snaps have been inconsistent. And you can't win a football game if you're constantly looking down. Jake Coker said something to me on our, our podcast that Jimbo Fisher told him. And he's like, you can't drive with your head down. And it's the same thing with quarterbacking. You know, those things used to get fixed at Alabama. And it, it just seems like issues like that are, are getting worse and worse. And... and you know, now you're in a situation where you're looking at this team and you're going, this could be a, an absolute disaster if things don't get turned around in a hurry, which give Nick Saban credit. He's always figured it out, but I think this is the toughest coaching job that he's ever had. Yep, he's holding the rope too, standing by his team, just to, I think as everyone would expect. Hey, you're listening to Big Noon Sports. Can you hang around, talk a little bit more about whether or not the sky truly is falling over in Tuscaloosa? <laughs> and um, I, we got to talk some baseball. Is that okay, Mick? Yeah, yeah, let's, let's do it. Let's do that. Mick Gillespie continues on break as we bring you Big Noon Sports, presented by Haley Sansing, Union Home Mortgage. Weekday mornings at 6 a.m. The Martin Houston Show. Join us tomorrow as we keep the conversation rolling right here on the Martin Houston Show on a wild card Wednesday. We'll look inside the playbook. We'll add Scotty Hollins to the conversation with the Harvest Church Christian Moment of the Week, as well as dig deeper into Saban's post-game comments on he was proud of the team's competitive spirit. Is he softening the blow? Is this a championship quality team? We'll talk about it right here on the Martin Houston Show. Catch the Martin Houston Show from 6 to 7 weekday mornings on Tide 100.9. Securing the best mortgage possible requires a lender who has knowledge, is trustworthy, and treats customers like family. And no one is better at all of this than the mortgage miracle worker, Haley Sansing. Based right here in Tuscaloosa, 
Haley Sansing has spent decades working in the mortgage industry. With Haley, it's personal, holding your hand from contract to close. With Haley, it's about one thing, you. Call Haley on her cell, yes, her cell, 205-792-1813. That's 205-792-1813. Let Haley help you. NLMS number 230376. On the next Inside the Locker Room with Coach Wimp Sanderson and Barry Sanderson. Tune in Wednesday. We'll continue to look at the Ole Miss-Alabama game this Saturday at 2.30. Also talk to Bill Cameron down in Auburn. Find out about the Auburn Tigers traveling to Texas A&M for a road game against the Aggies. Inside the Locker Room, weekdays 7 to 9 a.m. on Tide 100.9 and Tide100.9.com. Tide 100.9, Tuscaloosa weather. A sunny, warm afternoon. The high today around 84. Clear tonight, the low 60. Tomorrow and Thursday, lots of sunshine both days. Highs between 84 and 87. And Friday, another sunny day with a high at 86 degrees. I'm James Spann on the ABC 3340 Weather Center on Tide 100.9. It's 84 degrees in Tuscaloosa. More Big Noon Sports coming up. This is Big News Sports. Lars Anderson, Justin Jones is our captain once again, and Mick Gillespie joins us from where? Are you doing postseason? Or, uh, it's the very end of the Southern League. Where are you? You calling a game tonight? Yeah, we're in the playoffs. The Smokies yeah. are playing Chattanooga tonight at 7. So game one tonight and then off tomorrow, and then games uh, two and three Thursday and Friday, and then that's the first round, and then Sunday, if we make the championship series back here at Smoky Stadium. So it's the Battle of Tennessee, and uh, yeah, you're up Tennessee. there. It's not that. It's not that. Not that long of a drive between the two stadiums. No, uh-uh. that's made that it today. section. The traffic on that interstate is not something we want to talk about. Okay. <laughs> um, oh, if you read social media, Nick Saban has lost all of his fastball. Um, there are a lot of Alabama fans, and by the way, this is not unusual. They did the same thing to Paul William Bryant at one time. So, um, is the sky falling? That question for Mick Gillespie. Well, I'm not going to bet against Nick Saban. I mean, I just think that the uh, assistant coaches aren't up to the caliber that he had in the past. And maybe, maybe not on the defensive side of the ball, but on the offensive side of the ball right now. I mean, I mean, I don't, I don't think that's even a shot at Tommy Reese, but he's not Steve Sarkeesian, Bill O'Brien, or Lane Kiffin right now, or Mike Loxley. I mean, he's just not there yet. Doesn't mean he can't develop into that. But my, my biggest concern is Nick Saban works harder than anyone, and we all love him, and we're going to love him. I mean, he, he's a legend, and he's the best of all time. But sometimes you have to adapt to the changes that – you see in a, in a field and one of those changes is that there's a lot of options <laughs> of other guys who he's coached have been on his staff or now have their own staff that maybe don't work the same amount of hours that and don't have the same demand that they have at Alabama and if you're going to continue to get the best of the best I think that's something that's that definitely hurting him and I've I've heard that from other people too uh who have been around. I don't want to say who, but uh, you know, and so that's something that I think he needs to do. But if there's a, how many times have we thought that Alabama 
was uh, was going to be down and out. And then they, they come out of nowhere and they get it figured out. It's up to the players. And and you, there's a lot of talent on that team. And it, maybe it's not Bryce Young at quarterback, but there's a lot of talent there. And if those guys decide that they want to get it done, they had a players-only meeting this week. If they decide that they're ready to be serious about this, if they're ready to put you know aside all of their differences and, and unite as a team, no matter what they look like or where they come from, if they buy into that crimson and white like all those other teams have and that's why all the former players are getting upset because they look at what's going on right now uh as you know uh, as really a threat to the legacy that they've left if those guys that are in that locker room decide that they're going to buy into that they have the talent to do something about it and if they don't nick Saban can go out and pull Deion sanders and clear house and go and build a whole nother team, uh, a whole nother roster with the rules that we have these days, and um, and compete right away. So uh, I, I'm not I'm not saying that the sky's falling. I just think that, and, and and here's another point too. Before I tell you, you know, get, get down to Nick Saban is that next year there's a lot more teams that are going to be in the playoff. You you could lose three games, and so you know, and potentially get in. So I, I don't I don't think that we've seen the last of Nick Saban getting into the playoff or the last of Nick Saban. I just think this year's team, which he says he still believes in, and, and, and you got to, because they, they've only lost one game. But those guys got to get it figured out. Uh, but at the end of the day, he's the legend, not them. And uh, they're the ones that are going to have to buy in and get the job done. I, I just think that this year's team is the one I'm worried about. I'm not saying that the, the program's in trouble. Man, that is some really good analysis, Mick. Um, want some more of it uh, for Jalen Milrow and the Alabama offense. What is going to be the path to success on Saturday? Because you know Ole Miss is going to put up points. You know they're going to put up points. And I'm guessing it's going to take, you know, 31, 34 for Alabama. That, that is kind of might be, you know, close to the magic number of what they need to get to on offense. What? Where do you go from here? I mean, clearly, I would think you start with just you got to tailor this offense to Milrow's strengths, correct? Yeah. Well, I, I hope we see a lot of Roy Dell Williams. I thought he did a great job in the second half of the football game last week. Uh, helped Alabama establish the run. There were glimpses of the offensive line playing dominant football. They've actually done a good job of run blocking. Uh, Milrow's got to get in there, and he's got to lead. You know, he can't look like a guy fighting for his job he's got to look like the guy and he's got to go in there and not turn the football over whether he's running the ball or throwing the ball no turnovers the other thing is the penalties. no no none of the stupid penalties anymore don't run or run down the field and touch a live punt you know they've got to get rid of doing the stupid stuff that that they never did until last year uh and and they've got to get back to playing that disciplined style of football that Alabama is known for. The one advantage that they have is that if you're Ole Miss, you really don't know what to expect. I mean, you're watching film and, you know, (laughs) Alabama's been all over the place. I mean, what do you prepare for, right? Um, We'll we'll see what kind of offense Tommy Reese puts together, but I I would think, you know, figuring out some RPOs um, to work for, uh, you know, to Melrose, set up design runs, which is where he's super effective. Uh, like I said, Roy Dell Williams played well. You know, Chase McClellan's a good player. You got all those running backs that can help you. 
and um, you know figure out a way to get guys in space and, and and let them make plays. And on defense, I love the fact that Lane Kiffin is is trying to you know play mind games again over who's the defensive coordinator and who's not. I think that is significant because that's definitely right up the uh, Lane Kiffin playbook alley and uh and i know it irritates nick saban i mean he is not nick saban's not a normal guy no one could win this much if they were normal uh things like that are distractions to him i mean he came right out in the press conference and mentioned that on monday and he probably should have not mentioned it because you know and then lane kiffin doubles down and now you're in all this stuff like who cares what lane kiffin thinks as far as who the defensive coordinator is but the fact that you address that, you know, you play right into uh, <laughs> to Lane Kiffin's hands. Uh, and the, the thing about Nick Saban that you guys know is that uh, he doesn't like distractions and he doesn't like nonsense. And Lane Kiffin is both of those things. So um, true. Yeah. But they got to run the ball. I mean, I just think it comes down to running the ball and stopping the run and getting pressure on Jackson Dart. Alabama secondary, if, if they can get some pressure on quarterbacks, that secondary is going to do some really fun stuff when they start picking off balls. It's got to get there. Hey, Mick, we got 60 seconds here. Just let everybody know it's okay. You know, you'll lose four in a row after you, can, after you cap off a record-breaking division-capturing season. It's okay, right, Mick? Yeah, I do think it's all right. I think the Braves are just kind of putting themselves in a spot right now where they're getting everyone uh, healthy and rested. And, you know, obviously these games really don't matter to them much. You know, they're not playing for anything until that postseason starts. Uh, I, I, I think the Braves have a great chance to win the World Series, and so does Vegas. Hey, uh, what are you doing this weekend? Tell everybody where they can listen to you. Yeah, yeah, check check me out. Uh, Bama Tailgate on YouTube. Going to be out in front of uh, Unique, which is uh, the sports bar on the Strip, right where Egan's used to be doing the show 5 to 7 on Friday. Come by and have a cold ding with us. And uh, also post-game show on uh, Bama Tailgate on YouTube. Great stuff, Mick. Thanks for your time. Roll Tide. Indeed, Roll Tide. When we get back, some gosh, some news from... Uh, I got to read more about this during the break, but Lars has just uh, come up with this story about Danica Patrick. and It's disturbing. It's, it's really disturbing. It's very. Yeah. It's, golly. She really do this? Um, hey, we're coming back in just a couple of minutes on Big Noon Sports, presented by Haley Sandstein, Union Home Mortgage. Looking for a It's the Tide 100.9 30K Workday Payday. Win cash every weekday, 8 to 5. Here's this hour's cash code. 357. Again, that's 357. The code is 357. Enter that code now on the Tide 100.9 app. Click on the 30K Payday button and enter the code for a chance to win $30,000. This is the Big Noon Sports Network. Hey, back on the show. 
It is Big Noon Sports presented by Haley Sansing Union Home Mortgage. It's Matt and Lars and Justin. Justin, we have not spoken to you. Just quickly, how are you today? I'm doing good. I'm actually wearing a sweatshirt. I was surprised at how cool it was this morning again for the second day. How low did it get last night? I, I really don't know. 60? I think around yeah. 60. Yeah, yes, sir. Yeah. It was very pleasant. Uh, Lars, I'm, I am catching up on the story you mentioned, and I, I am beyond words. I mean, Danica yeah. Patrick is just mean. Okay, so before we get into uh, uh, our feelings about Danica, let's just, uh, in, and we both know her really well. I, I wrote two cover stories on Danica, spent a long, a lot, a lot of time with Danica over the years. So um, here's the, here's what happened. Essentially, Danica has come out and it's quite obvious she is not a fan of Martin Truex Jr., uh, a, a longtime NASCAR driver. And it's funny, I still think of Martin as like this young kid. Uh, and, and now, you know, he's, uh, he's he's been in the sport for, what, uh, two decades. But, um, and I've always really uh, gotten along well with Martin and, uh, through my relationship with Dale Jr. You know, Dale and Martin are best buddies. And so, um, anyway, uh, Martin, really good, uh, terrific championship-winning NASCAR driver. And uh, he uh, dated uh, this, uh, a woman named Sherry Pollux for nearly two decades. And, and Sherry was a fixture in the NASCAR community, has been over the last decade, because she has been battling uh, ovarian cancer, a, a long battle. And she uh, spent, like I said, about a decade uh, fundraising uh, efforts to fight the disease. And just, it was uh, last week, uh, the event that she's most known for, <clears throat> and it's a, it's a NASCAR uh, charity gala called a Catwalk for a Cause. It was held last week and, and Sherry Pollux, uh, Truex's longtime girlfriend, uh, and, and uh, she wasn't in attendance. And so at that point, sort of everybody in the NASCAR community knew that, uh, that Sherry was, uh, you know, in, in, in pretty, pretty dire shape. And, and so Sherry Pollux and Martin Truex, again, they dated for nearly two decades, but they, they broke up earlier this year. And, you know, I, I don't know the reason. It's really none of my business. It's, it's just they, they broke up. They'd been together for like 19 years and they they broke up and then Sherry uh, sadly passed away on Sunday uh, at the age of 44. And so um, her, uh, her family puts out a, a statement uh, just saying, you know, uh, what, what, what happened and gave the news of her passing. And then that caused almost everyone who's prominent in the NASCAR community to post something on social media about um, about Martin Truex's longtime girlfriend Sherry Pollux, who who passed away. And and Martin and his uh, Martin put out a, a statement, and um, and then uh, on Instagram, uh, you know, it. Uh, Okay, so Martin, Martin's statement is, it's just a nice statement. 
about about uh, Sherry's passion for life and making a difference for others and 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 trying to help others through her fundraising and uh, and you know he extended his condolences to the family and uh, just said that you know her family has shown great strength and resilience throughout her battle. Well, Danica, I, I less than twenty four hours after Sherry had passed away. Uh, Danica goes on to Instagram and Matt is this just uh, it, it blows my mind what she wrote she said uh, this yeah. is this is this is this is this is the direct this is directly what she wrote I avoid negativity on social at almost all cost almost but this is the most sensitive disconnected statement from a guy that I have never liked and she's referring to the statement that I just summarized right the statement from Martin Truex that he put out on his social about about Sherry, his longtime girlfriend, who just passed away. This is, but and then Danica goes. Uh, she writes, continues, but this is the most ins- insensitive, disconnected statement from a guy that I've never liked, and obviously for good reason. I don't care what happened between them, but this is as cold as it gets. A PR rep wrote this, guaranteed. You're free from this now, Sherry, and she puts a heart at the end of this. And just to attack Martin Truex Jr. less than 24 hours after the woman he spent two decades with? I mean, uh, Matt. It's callous, it's callous at I, best. Uh, it, I don't, there is, there is no justification for this. Is there another statement floating out there that we haven't seen? Because the next paragraph in this particular story said, Patrick did not specifically mention what she was talking about between Truex and Pollux. Truex's statement appeared to be as touching as anyone else's. Um, it's just hard to believe that someone could be this un... Uh, it's just uh, callous. It's yeah. beyond and, rude. It's just you know, unacceptable. I'm, I'm sure Danica knows more about the relationship between Martin and Sherry than, than most people. Um, and, uh, you know, that obviously, you know, she's not happy with Martin Truex Jr. But to come out like this is really uh, just so inappropriate and, and so off key. I, I don't understand uh, why uh, Danica would do this. Um, it, it really... Uh, it just it just blows blows the mind that uh, that Danica would come out and 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 say this over so, over social media. Um, you know what it sounds like, and I'll step out there. It sounds like a woman scorned uh, to me. That that's exactly what it sounds like, and she's fighting back in the in the dirtiest way humanly possible. And um, I don't think people are going to forget this. Uh, no, I, not I, not in the NASCAR. I mean, you and I both we know the NASCAR community, right? And uh, we were prominent members of it for a long time, and, and you still are. Um, it's a very small, close knit community. I mean, and, and really, the the motorsports world in general in the United States is. And this is uh, you're right. I mean, this very well could be an unforgivable sin. And uh, I just, uh, I, I don't understand. I mean, I, I, re- I never talked to Sherry Pollux, but she was always 
she was always around, you know, she was, she was always with Martin, uh, hanging out either in, in the hauler or at the bus and, you know, always with them on, on pit road. And they're there, they were together, uh, <laughs> certainly a lot longer. And a lot of my relationships have lasted. Uh, <laughs> but I just, uh, I don't, I, yeah, there's, there's, uh, obviously there's more to this story than we know, but that doesn't matter. That doesn't mean anything to me. Like Danica, what are you doing? And, um, you know, I, I, Danica and I have always been, uh, good with one another and, and I wouldn't call us friends or anything, but we've had, we've had dinner a, a bunch of times and, and I just, I, I never saw this side of her. I mean, I don't think anybody has. So I, I'm not sure what, uh, what, what to make of this whole story other than I just wanted to, I just wanted to bring it up and, uh, and just point wow. it out. It's just, a, you know, it, it's, a, it's, a, it's tragic of uh, Sherry Pollock's passing. And then for Danica to, to come out and use this as a way to attack Martin is just uh, incomprehensible to me. It's a, it's I, I I agree I, I cannot understand it and uh, it would be uh, in very very poor taste a month or two from now but to do it 24 hours after the death of this extraordinary philanthropic lady I, I just can't see it and I was uh, I was always under the impression and maybe witnessed an incident or two that would verify it but. They acted like they acted, you know, they acted like they liked Danica, but I don't think many of them really did. I think she was a bit yeah. of a prima donna. She was uh, very self-centered, and she, um, you know, she also seemed very self-entitled, even though I she never, never won a race. How, how, what was Aaron Rodgers thinking? I mean, I've spent, like, I don't want to, I don't want to say what I should say, but uh, I just I don't see how Aaron Rodgers, who hosts Celebrity Jeopardy, what he would see in Danica. If you catch my drift, I understand, but in some ways I think they're perfect for each other. They're both a little <laughs> bit wacko, you know. Maybe they get into that sensation tube or whatever it is, and eat peyote, and you know. Oh. They broke up a while back, but I just, I didn't oh, it's understand. Been a long time. Yeah, well, Lars, you know, just, Aaron Rodgers' family is also, you know, that's a, another topic around him. Oh, the, yes. Yeah, you're right. I, I don't if, think he's talked to anybody in his immediate family for years, right? That, I don't that, think that so. That always saddens me. And yeah. I have a quick question as well. It, did Martin Truex, as I'm doing my research, just like you guys were on this whole Danica Patrick situation, did they split and separate Sherry Pollux and Martin Truex in January of this year? Yeah. Is that yes. what you're saying? Yeah. So they, they broke they up. they remained good friends, though. You know, they, it, they it, it certainly, it, it appeared to be. Yeah, they appeared to be good friends. I'm um, just one. I feel like the, there's got to be something we don't know. Cause absolutely. That timing no, is very strange to me if you have a wife with, with cancer. And, but, it, of course, I feel like Danica shouldn't have commented on it in the first place. What no. possible... Inference, Lars, help me with my verbiage. Could she have gotten from what appeared to me to be a very loving, heartwarming post about his girlfriend, former girl? Well, she, you know, look, her, I, her, her, her PR person, Haley, 
uh, you've known her for years, and I, I've known and Haley. Like she writes everything that Danica puts out. It's ne- and look, this isn't unique. All all high profile people, not just athletes, but actors, and they all have publicists who write statements. And I don't care if it was a publicist who wrote this statement or not. It, it, it certainly Martin talked to. If, if it was a publicist, who cares? I mean, Martin would have told the publicist what to write. And uh, look, it's got to me, name attached to it. To me, it, it 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 seems like she is saying that Martin, you're a horrible person because you broke up with this woman when she was really sick. And and you know maybe she's implying, you know that there was inappropriate behavior by someone. I, I don't know. I I don't know what the point of this is, but clearly she is uh, angry. At Martin Truex Jr. Boy, is she ever? That's that is, uh, boy, that 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 really, that really is uh, wild. Um, I don't know. Maybe I'll maybe I'll shoot Danica a text and ask her. Oh uh, yeah, <laughs> her PR person will. Yeah, will I don't think Haley. I don't think I don't think Haley would like that too much. <laughs> I, I bet Haley doesn't like this at all. No. Uh, oh, man. I hope Danica. That's I hope Dan- PR I, I hope. Oh yeah, I hope Danica just stays off social media because she is just getting filleted uh, on every on 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 Instagram, on on Twitter, on X, and and on every type of venue. Uh, boy, she just uh, really bad judgment there by Danica. Lars, unknowingly. You have come up with a topic of the day, and I'm going to ask it, and we're going to line up the opinions on the phone lines at 205-342-9904. You're listening to Big Noon Sports, presented by Haley Sansing, Union Home Mortgage. Lee Thompson is known as the Bama Broker. She's a Tuscaloosa native, an Alabama graduate, and the only realtor in town with Wall Street experience. A skilled negotiator, Laura Lee knows how to buy low and sell high. And the Bama Broker isn't just going to show you houses. No, Laura Lee is going to educate you on the market, guide you to homes that fit your budget, and teach you how to sell your home for its maximum profit. Throughout the entire process, the Bama Broker will equip you with the tools you need to both buy a home and build financial wealth through home ownership. Trust me, the Bama Broker, who's as roll-tied as houndstooth, will get you across the goal line. That's Laura Lee Thompson, the Bama Broker with Advantage Realty Group. You can reach her at 205-790-7229. Again, that's 205-790-7229. And you can also email her at lee at thebamabroker.com. That's lee at thebamabroker.com. Tide 100.9, Tuscaloosa weather. A sunny, warm afternoon. The high today around 84. Clear tonight, the low 60. Tomorrow and Thursday, lots of sunshine both days. Highs between 84 and 87. And Friday, another sunny day with a high at 86 degrees. I'm James Spann on the ABC 3340 Weather Center on Tide 100.9. It's 86 degrees in Tuscaloosa. Covering SEC sports like Kudzu on the roadside. This is Big Noon Sports. Hey, welcome to the program. 
jump on the phones and join us in this discussion at 205-342-9904. Just about half an hour ago when we were talking with Mick Gillespie, both of you said that Bryce Young is the didn't I don't want to misquote anybody, but you both agreed that Bryce Young was the greatest quarterback in the history of Alabama. Yes. Did, did I read that right? Yeah. Um I would maintain that and by the way, this is a conversation. I'm not being negative about Bryce Young. He was absolutely fabulous and will develop to that level again in the National Football League. But I would give some cause to think about A.J. McCarron. Are, are people going, whoa, A.J. McCarron has more passing yardage, more touchdowns. He has 77 touchdowns, 15 interceptions. Um, <coughs> he is the leading Alabama passer as far as yards by over 1,000 over John Parker Wilson. And something that Bryce will never have, he has a national championship. No, wait, he has two. Am I going to get a lot of pushback on that <coughs> statement? Um, no. I, I think uh, you definitely can uh, make that case. And, um, it, you know, he had a lot of talent around him. AJ did. And, and uh, he started three full seasons. Uh, he was a member of three national title winning teams. He has three rings. Uh, he was a quarterback on two of them, as you mentioned. Um, and then you, you you look at his stats and you know over nine thousand passing yards, seventy seven touchdowns. This is incredible. Only fifteen interceptions. Yeah. Seventy seven touchdowns and fifteen interceptions. Um, and you know he's had. Uh, the career of a of a NFL journeyman, right? He's just kind of bounced around the league, and uh, I was really happy when Cincinnati drafted him. I believe in the fifth round, and and he uh, when when uh, uh, Andy Dalton went down, and AJ uh, had to come in late one season. I think it's the second or third year. Uh, Bengals get to the the, the playoffs and uh, AJ plays well enough. There was a late touchdown pass to AJ Green, and then that's when uh, Vontez Perfect and Pac Man Jones just absolutely imploded. And there's like personal foul, personal foul, personal foul. And with you know, to, to, they move down the length of the field in about ten seconds and and end up beating uh, AJ in, in Cincinnati. But um, so, I mean, he, I think he had a pretty decent NFL career. And, uh, um, yeah, yeah, he was just so good at Alabama. He just made when, – when they Alabama didn't need him to do much, but he would make clutch throw after clutch throw after clutch throw. Like if Alabama is, is a third and 11, A.J. would figure out a way to, you know, just – Throw. He didn't have the strongest arm in the world, but he would he could throw a dart over to the sideline and get you eleven and a half yards. You know, like and 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 how well he played in that uh, 2011 national championship game uh, in in Louisiana in, in uh, New Orleans against LSU, and um, he just uh, he, he was. To me, yes. Okay, I, I amend. Like to me, the the greatest sort of quarterback in Alabama history, I will say AJ McCarron. The most talented quarterback, Bryce Young. 
you said something that is very, very true, and that's about your supporting cast. And I don't think anybody could argue that A.J. had a much better one than did Bryce Young. But, you know, if I, as I continue to look here, Tua Tonga Viola, he threw for almost 7,500 yards. Listen to his touchdown-to-interception ratio. 87 touchdowns, 11 interceptions. And then, you know, if you want to do another dive, how about Mac Jones? 56 touchdown passes, seven interceptions, over 6,000 yards. He's fifth. In just terms of yardage passed for, it goes A.J. McCarron by 1,000, 90-19. And then John Parker Wilson is second to a third. Brody Coyle still ranks up there at number four, and then Mac Jones. And, um, and you can make arguments for a lot of those guys. Well, and what about who's the player that Bear Bryant called the greatest athlete he ever coached? Joe J- Willie Namath. Yes. And, uh, but, you know, it, it was a totally different game back then. Namath had uh, 24 touchdown passes and uh, 15 on the ground in his three seasons of playing for Alabama. Uh, his last season, 1964, ended with Alabama winning the national championship. And I think you can make the argument that Namath's success at Alabama is really what is where he learned how to win titles. And that really pro- propelled the Jets to pull off the huge upset in Super Bowl three. Right, that ended with Namath wagging the the number one sign over his head as he jogged off the field, uh, in a very iconic moment. Yes, Uh, and uh, so I mean that's that's going way back. But uh, just this recent run of quarterbacks uh, that Alabama has had is certainly you know spoiled everybody here because Alabama just. They, they hit on all of these guys. And, you know, Mac Jones came in as a three-star, and he really developed. And, and Jalen Hurts really developed. And, of course, there's Tua. And then you have, uh, you know, uh, uh, Young. And so that the run of four quarterbacks, they all, uh, they all received Heisman uh, Trophy votes. Uh, they all were just elite. They're all starting in the NFL right now. Um, it's really just uh, amazing how they hit on everything. And, uh, and again, I mean, I think you can kind of, you can go back to, the, to the, uh, the class of 2021, the recruiting class. Jalen Milrow was not Alabama's first pick. It was uh, Drake May. And they, they had him, he committed. But then he decommitted of March of 2020, and he opts to sign with uh, North Carolina. And so Alabama sort of, they, they take Milrow. Again, not their, not their first pick. And, uh, and then I think what happened was, uh, you know, uh, after going through all the spring practice, uh, uh, Saban and, and uh, Tommy Reese were hoping that either Milroe or Simpson would really separate themselves and that didn't happen. And then, so they figure, okay, we gotta go transfer portal. Well, Sam Hartman was already gone. Um, uh, Brennan Armstrong had already gone to North Carolina State. Uh, Kentucky got uh, Devin Leary, 
right, who broke uh, Philip Rivers' single-season school record for touchdowns at NC State. Ole Miss got Spencer Sanders, who's an all, who was an all-Big 12 player at Oklahoma State. And they also got Walker Howard, who was a former five-star uh, at, at LSU. And, you know, Alabama, they, everybody was gone. They were just like, they were too late to the party. And uh, so you end up with Buckner. And we saw what happened last week. Uh, and I, I don't think we will see much of Tyler Buckner the rest of the year. And, you know, uh, Simpson, I think that he just uh, he perhaps hasn't developed as quickly as, uh, as, as they'd hoped. And so, you know, you're in this this kind of a, a, a pickle, so to speak. And and look, in Jalen Milrow, like the thing is, like he was he was recruited by Sark, right? And Sark was really good with the, the RPOs. But then two weeks after Milrow signs, Sark goes to Texas. And then uh, when he, then he had uh, Bill O'Brien for the last three years and you know, now he's a starting quarterback at Alabama and O'Brien's gone. And also uh, Alex Mortensen, uh, who we've talked about before, uh, he was kind of the, uh, a, uh, an analyst who really worked with the quarterbacks, the, the son of Chris Mortensen. He's an amazing coach. And he left uh, to join the UAB staff with uh, Trent Dilfer. And so, uh, you know, Milrose had, there's been a lot of upheaval around him. And without that consistency, it's been, I think it's just been hard for him to develop. I mean, it certainly hasn't helped, right? And 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 he throws a really beautiful deep ball. I mean, we, 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 we've seen that, uh, saw that uh, in, in both of his starts, but he just, he struggles with the intermediate passing. And uh, that's not something that is gonna be fixed overnight. And so what does Reese have to do? I think he, I mean, we've talked about him, Matt, he has to tailor the offense to the strengths of his player. Uh, because like right now, um, you, you look at, uh, I think from the 2019 season to now, the use of the RPO is down almost 10%. And uh, that is according to a uh, ESPN story uh, by Alex Scarborough that I talked about earlier. It's an excellent uh, breakdown of the Alabama quarterback situation and, and the history and sort of how we got here. But uh, I think you, you've now, I think the, the collective decision has been made by the coaching staff that Jalen Milrow is the quarterback. There's yeah. no more no more debate. He's our guy. So therefore you got to change the offense to make guess, sure you uh, put, put put him put in. put him in a put him in a position to succeed don't have him dropping back and be don't have him be a classic pocket passer on second and 5 run the hey, ball Lars, let's let's get an opinion from Macon Georgia let's go to George in Macon how you doing George do you want to talk quarterbacks yeah first off I, to me my favorite quarterback, of course, when you have the success that Alabama has had, you got 10 or 15 of them that could either any of them could be it. But I would say Kenny Stabler. I just remember yeah. him back in 65 as a sophomore when freshmen couldn't play. He played some. And then I guess 1966 was the greatest year in my mind, the best team I have seen Alabama have. 
and he just didn't make mistakes. And I remember um, somebody asked Bear Bryant, what would you do if Kenny Stabler ran the um, triple option? He said, you'd have to put another digit on the scoreboard because he could run, he could pass, and he was a great pro. Um, I guess he is one of my favorites. And um, as far as Milro, I truly think that he can get the job done. He just has to have enough. First off, just like we said, I mean, Tommy Reese, of course, you know my opinion on him. He can't evaluate quarterbacks, obviously. Um, he needs to tailor make the offense to what your quarterback does better or what, you know, any player does better. I don't understand the resistance of doing that. I mean, you're not going to make a, you can't make an elephant fly. You know what I'm saying? He's a fantastic athlete. And if I hear he's the fastest guy on the team one more time, I think I'm just going to pass out because that's all I hear. He's not. But, he's you know, not those are the things. Yeah, um, people are saying he's as fast as Rugg. No way. No, no. way. No. no, they documented no his best 40 time. I think I saw an article, George, that said it was a 4-6. That's not the fastest so wh- guy on the team. So why are they saying that? I don't, I don't know. Make You know, build him up. Get his confidence going. Make him think he can run a 4-4. <laughs> I really don't know, but people have been saying that for two years. You don't have time to really look down, look out the uh, the receiver, so the defensive back can react to it. It's a quick pass, or he runs, because you're putting those that linebacker and that defensive end in conflict. Because they got to figure out what you're going to do, and that's what you want to do in any offense. Whatever, whoever you're attacking, put them in conflict. But I, you know, and and. Uh, if I, I'm serious as I can be. If Tommy Reese is putting his head in his hands this weekend, I think somebody ought to just fire him on the spot because that's not giving any type of confidence to the team or the other coaches. I mean, don't you agree with that? Well, Maybe I, not I fire him on the spot, but give him another position. His play calling has been less than uh, I expected. Um, but a lot of a lot of things go into that, you know, whether or not somebody's picking up the blitz, whether or not they're handling the blitz along the offensive line. Um, we'll see how it continues to work out. George, you're a great caller. We appreciate you dialing us in for making Georgia have a wonderful evening. You take care. Thank you for taking my call. Absolutely. Hey, Lars, you are the athletic director at Michigan State. What you going to do? You're listening to Big Noon Sports. Built to win. Touchdown, Alabama! Built for championships. Throws intercepted, Alabama! Built by Bama. Alabama is still Alabama. The Crimson Tide play here. Join us Saturday as the Crimson Tide kick off SEC play against Ole Miss. Our coverage begins at 1130 on your home for Alabama football. Brought to you by Birmingham Racecourse. BirminghamRacecourse.com. You can be a winner today. 
Securing the best mortgage possible requires a lender who has knowledge, is trustworthy, and treats customers like family. And no one is better at all of this than the mortgage miracle worker, Haley Sansing. Based right here in Tuscaloosa, Haley Sansing has spent decades working in the mortgage industry. With Haley, it's personal, holding your hand from contract to close. With Haley, it's about one thing, you. Call Haley on her cell, yes, her cell, 205-792-1813. That's 205-792-1813. Let Haley help you. NLMS number 230376. Hey, this is Reagan, owner of r r Cigars, the Cigar Mansion in downtown Tuscaloosa. Located at 2703 6th Street across from the Home Two Suites. Come down to r r and see why we're the ultimate cigar and bourbon experience. With over 165 bourbons and five private barrels, our selection of bourbon is unmatched. We have the best cocktails around and our cigar selection is legendary. Our lounge and service are world-class. Come and experience the luxury of the mansion and see why it's a world-renowned cigar and spirits destination. The best sports talk in Alabama. This is Big Noon Sports. Lars Anderson, Matt Coulter, Justin Jones, and you on the phone lines at 205-342-9904. In fact, uh, let's go to Joseph, who has uh, dialed in. Joseph, how are you today? Very good. How you doing, man? Fantastic. Doing great. I got a question for y'all. Uh, my, que- my question is, uh, what if we go to lose two or three games Alabama does with Jalen Miro and this kid's got two years of eligibility left and Julian Fagan's coming in next year and the team wants Miro to start. They won't play for nobody but Miro. So let me ask you this. What do you do? What do you do if this kid starts for two more years and you have to lose for two more years? <laughs> well, um, I would think if Julian Sayan, and I've heard a lot about Sayan. If he comes in and he literally beats him out, then you start you start the best guy. I mean, isn't that always the goal? Just finding I mean, him sometimes is difficult. I mean, that's the goal. But what what say the team don't want to play for nobody? Like, you know what? We don't, we ain't gonna play for nobody but Miro. Like, they can say we're not gonna block for this kid, or we're not gonna catch for this kid. We're gonna make this kid look bad because well, we want our I, guy. Joseph, the direction you're headed is uh, is very, very clear, and I don't know that it has gotten to that point. So I'm not going to assume that it has, and uh, just hope that uh, Jalen Milrow uh, rushes for 120 and passes for 290 uh, against because Ole I'm Miss. Going, because I'm going to go ahead and tell you, people are going to figure out Milrow, and they're going to make him throw. Uh, that's not a question. Eventually, he's going to have to throw. People are well, he can run. We can run his way. No, eventually somebody's going to make him throw and figure him out. I mean, that's his life. I mean, if you, you as a quarterback, you got to be able to throw. I mean, you got to be able to read the defense. You got to be able to check down. You got to be able to change the play. And eventually somebody's going to make him do that. And when we when he, when they do, we lose. Who's to say that he doesn't gain experience and he's coached up to where he does start uh, completing those uh, the 10 to 20 yarders? Well, let's just say, man, when I watch that Texas game, them two ugly picks that you might don't get no uglier than that. Them bad picks. Yeah, there's a 
no doubt about that. Those were really uh, two uh, just terrible throws, and he's uh, he is telegraphing where he's going with the ball, and uh, it's pretty clear that right now he's uh, a one-read quarterback, and if that read is uh, isn't there, uh, there's trouble. If, if, if the first read isn't open, uh, it's tough because he's for whatever reason not progressing through to go one, two, three, four. Right, and the really great quarterbacks can sometimes even get to five, uh, but it's just uh, it's the processing of information. Um, you know, Joe Burrow will, will tell you that uh, his greatest strength is, uh, is 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 deciphering what the defense is going to be doing pre-snap based on formation, uh, based on film study, based on down and distance, and where the ball is on the field. And there is a lot of information to process. And if you just take a three-step drop, and I've talked to, I've written about this with Bruce Arians, before the, when you get to the, that, the, 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 that third step, there's about 20 decisions you need to, or 20 b- bits of information that you have uh, accumulated, the good quarterbacks, and, and, uh, and, and the good ones get that ball out in under three seconds. Right, because uh, then that's what Alabama needs to do. They desperately need to get the ball out of the quarterback's hand because the offensive line is not holding up. And we even saw that they couldn't hold up against South Florida. Uh, and 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 you know it's just it's, it's going to get worse uh, probably before it gets better. So I I, I hear what you're saying, like. It, 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 you, but I think he he gives you the best chance to win, and and yes, at some point, and probably at some point is going to be on, on Saturday, he is going to have to make a a throw a series of throws from the pocket. But you know the the issue is, it's it's when the the play doesn't go as designed, right? And he has to go off script. And that happens more than 50% of the time in the NFL and, 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 and a little bit less than uh, 50% of the time in, in college football. And so then what, what do you do? You know, you go to two, you go to three read, and uh, you, you just uh, then if, if nothing's there, try to use your athleticism and make something out of nothing. But those throws that he made against Texas, they, they revealed a bigger issue, right? It wasn't just the fact that he was throwing off his back foot and he was staring down receivers. It's just, uh, it, 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 it's just, it, the, the, it's the deciphering of information uh, that is uh, uh, what I think, what, what the struggle is, is there, Matt. And, uh, that, that's just not something you can fix overnight. You can try to game plan to mitigate uh, the deficiencies of your quarterback, but at some point, uh, the caller was right. Like He's going to have to be able to make those throws, Matt. Yeah, and I think he can be coached into it. Um, I, I agree. Evidently, you know, uh, that's, that's not Joseph's uh, opinion, but we'll see. Uh, I mean, he's a starter. Saban's nailed it, and uh, they're going to move on with it. Meanwhile, Michigan State has announced that it is in the process of firing Mel Tucker for cause in the wake of sexual harassment scandal. I don't quite. I've got questions about that, and then Lars is going to have to decide when this does happen who's taking over. 
You're listening to Big Noon Sports, brought to you, presented by Haley Sansing, Union Home Mortgage. Back in just a minute. Catch Christian and Corey Miller every weekday here on Tide 100.9. This is Christian Miller, former Alabama linebacker and Crimson Tide Sports Network sideline reporter. And this is the pastor Payne of the Miller's Edge. Coming up tomorrow on the program, we'll rush around the SEC. We'll take a closer look at Lane Kiffin and Ole Miss, plus your phone call that's coming up tomorrow on the Miller's Edge. Tune in 11 to noon to hear Christian and Corey Miller break down everything from college to the pros on Tide 100.9, the home of Alabama sports. Yeah! Tide 100.9, Tuscaloosa weather. A sunny, warm afternoon, the high today around 84. Clear tonight, the low 60. Tomorrow and Thursday, lots of sunshine both days. Highs between 84 and 87. And Friday, another sunny day with a high at 86 degrees. I'm James Spann on the ABC 3340 Weather Center on Tide 100.9. It's 85 degrees in Tuscaloosa. From T-Town to the Plains, this is Alabama's most in-depth analysis on the SEC. This is Big Noon Sports. It is big news sports. Matt, Justin, Lars. As I just told you going to the break, and everyone's familiar with this story, so I'm not going to go into the sordid details. But uh, in the wake of a sexual harassment scandal, Michigan State has announced that they are now in the process of firing Coach Tucker for cause. Okay. I look at that announcement two different ways. Why do you have to announce that and just said he's suspended without pay? upon further investigation and let it go. Well, my suspicion, Lars, is that Michigan State has received so much criticism that they felt they had to step up and let them know, okay, we're working on getting rid of this problem. Am I, have I read? I think I've read that correctly, right? Yeah, there, there is a, uh, a process that you have to go through, a formal process when you fire a coach with cause. And so the school announced uh, yesterday that it informed Tucker that it is going to fire him with cause. And so he also said that he has seven calendar days to re- respond and present reasons to the school why he shouldn't be fired. And again, this goes back to a uh, Title IX complaint filed against Mel Tucker by uh, Brenda Tracy, who um, uh, who's a uh, anti-sexual assault activist uh, who's contracted to work with the football team. And uh, you know, Tucker has uh, contended that that they had a consensual relationship, and and he has uh, you know said that. Yeah, we don't need to get into the, 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 the details, but, but Tucker, you know, he, he's saying he's not denying anything, but he, and he put out a statement and said, quote, there are other motives at play, and he doesn't believe Michigan State plans to fire him because he admitted to an entirely consensual private relationship with another adult who gave one presentation at Michigan State at my behest over two years ago. And that uh, he alleges that uh, um, uh, Tracy manufactured false allegations against him. But, you know, uh, so it, 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 it's a mess. 
And uh, I think Mel Tucker, uh, one way or another, he's uh, coached his last game at Michigan State, um, which is uh, quite the fall uh, for someone who was given, what what was it, like a 10-year, $95 million contract? $95 million. Yeah. Uh, and he's gone 20 and 14 since. Yeah. So then you you were say asking you know who who could be the next head coach at uh, at Michigan State well first of all eight- let me let me let me stop right here yeah. um if his record had been is uh tw- is 33 and 1 i don't know i just tried to do the math there real quick if he's just won a national championship are they looking into firing him <sighs> i don't know <laughs> okay Let's go. On, let's go. No, I mean, I, I don't. I just don't. I just don't think that there's a clear cut answer there because the Michigan State, uh, the it's like the 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 people there have been through the the collective trauma of uh, you know that that uh, the athletic trainer or that that the doctor uh, who was affiliated with the school who did all these horrible things and uh, so I think. If there's a, a whiff of uh, of uh, sexual misconduct, uh, that that it, it, I, I even no matter how successful you are uh, in that environment in East Lansing, I just I don't know if he could survive. I, I don't know. I mean, I, 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 the, the the cynical reporter in me was be like, well, of course they wouldn't pursue this because he is generating so much money for the school and. And bringing uh, you know publicity to the school, uh, if he had guided Michigan State to their first ever you know uh, national championship in college football, but I would like to think that they would do the right thing, and it seems like they're doing the right thing now. But you know we don't know all the facts of the case, and um, but probably it, never it, will. No, and, and the thing is, like it, the 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 burden here is not innocent it's not innocent until proven guilty uh when you're working for i guess when you would be in in mel tucker's situation here like he really has to prove his innocence and i i don't you know i i just mel tucker if i were him i wouldn't fight this just just uh exit the stage and and uh you know uh see see what opportunities could be out there for you in the future maybe take a year off but um yeah so other candidates to think about at michigan state uh being pat narduzzi uh head coach at pitt um he's had uh some success there in the acc and and um he's a he was a long time uh, defensive coordinator at michigan state um and there's just going to be there's so much television money flowing into the Big Ten compared to the ACC that I think a successful ACC coach would jump at the opportunity to go to the Big Ten. And uh, I think another coach they're going to look at is Mark Stoops at Kentucky. Would Stoops go to Michigan State? I mean, I don't know because he's had so much success at Kentucky. He's in his eleventh year there. Um, he's the two 10 win seasons since 2018, seven straight bowl games. I mean, he has taken that program to a level that I didn't think he could ever get to. And I think a, that's less than lateral move. For is it? I, I don't know. I, I, it's a, yeah, it, 
as the state of the program right now. Now, uh, yeah, and, and he's. Ago, I, I just don't different. know. Yeah, I don't. I don't know if he would be ready for a change of scenery. I mean, the, Mark Stoops is. He's so beloved in in Lexington. I, I don't know. That, that's just the name that's being being thrown around. And uh, same uh, Mike Elko, uh, head coach at, at Duke. That's where um, I go. Yeah, uh, he's got a, he's got a defensive background, um, and uh, that, that's what they want at Michigan State. Kind of all their all their big time coaches there uh, really have uh, been defensive guys, and um, you're you're right. I mean, with Elko at Duke, they've expe- exceeded expectations, and it's a difficult job, hard to win there. Um, but he's also only in his second season as head coach, and he's never doesn't have any experience in the Big Ten. But I think if I were the a, if I were the AD at Michigan State, Elko would be the guy that I'd target. Because here's the other thing: I, I did want to ask you this. Do you think if you are running a, a big time program like Michigan State, and Michigan State is it's a big time program, would you go the route of like the hot young assistant who's never been a head coach? Or would you try to find uh, the head coach at a, a young head coach at, at a school that has had success? Because I, I've just seen it at, at, at Nebraska. Like whenever Nebraska has hired an assistant coach to become a head coach, it's just it fails. Like if you're a big time if you're a big time program, I think you need a guy with experience. And uh, but but Elko, you know, he fits the bill because he's running the program at Duke. I don't know where, where do you go with this. I go Elko. I would also, in response to the suggestion of Stoops, I would say you need to look and see what his contract is now. He's making $9 million a year. Yeah, man. You know, uh, and certainly Michigan State, you know, money doesn't seem to be a huge object after, uh, you know, hiring a, or extending a contract $9.5 million a year. But... Uh, it's it's a big mess, and it turns out it's going to be a huge he said, she said. On that note, why don't we break away for about 22 hours, Lars? Talk to you tomorrow. Let's do it. Let's do it. Y'all have a wonderful, blessed day, and always thank you to Justin Jones, who's just in there, Mr. Consistency, every day. Y'all have a great day. Join